few years ago when uh, Monisa and I were in Italy, we wanted to see the ruins of Pompeii, that city <clears throat> near the, the coast that was destroyed and buried when Mount Vesuvius erupted, the volcano, uh, centuries ago. And it was an amazing place, an interesting place, because you're walking through there, and here's all these ruins, and, and you're thinking, here's this entire city that was totally covered for centuries. Now they've been able to dig it all out, and you see the ruins, and you can see the houses and some of the frescoes, the paintings are still on the wall. And, and where there had been uh, wooden doors or human bodies where people died, that material decayed over the centuries, and there was just a hollow opening there when they started removing everything so they were able to pour cast, and we know exactly where those people died and what their body positions were. And it's, 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 it's something to see that and think about that moment because... They were going about life, and suddenly there's this eruption, and then they're dead. And there are some of you in this room, the very first step you need to take today is to give your life to Christ because you're not ready for death. You're not ready to stand before God. You're not ready to, for, for, for the next life because you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the step you need to take right now before any other step is to commit yourself to Christ, receive Jesus as your Savior, and ask him to forgive you. Now, while we were there, we also wanted to go up to the top of Mount Vesuvius and see the rim. I wanted to look down in the crater. And have any of you ever been to Vesuvius and seen, been up on the mountain to the crater? Any, any, any of you in the room? We had a few in the first service. Anybody in this service been there? Uh, well, I wanted to do that. And so when Lisa and I went, and um, you can drive or take a bus part of the way up the mountainside, and uh, uh, then you have to walk the rest of the way. And it's a pretty good hike. In fact, I call it the hike from hell. Um, and it's, it's not because it's so steep, but you're walking on ash. And so every time you took a step up, you slid back half a step. And, and you kind of sink into that ash. And so you're hiking up that. And, uh, and Monisa's in great shape. She walks all the time. And We'd had to stop along the way because our lungs were burning. I mean, it wasn't just that we were, you know, needed to catch our breath. I mean, our lungs were on fire. It was so hard. But we, we wanted to, I wanted to see it. We wanted to get up there. We made it to the top. And um, so thankful we did. You're standing on the rim of this, you know, historic volcanic crater. And you can look down in and see. And you can look over the side toward the Mediterranean. And, and uh, it was worth it. It was worth it. Now, if I ever go back, I want to make a day of it because you can hike all the way around the rim, and I'd like to do that sometime uh, in, in the future. Here's the thing. Anything worthwhile, anything you're going to accomplish, anything you want to see happen in your life, there are steps you have to take to get there. And if you're not willing to take those steps, you'll never get there. And sometimes those steps can cause your lungs to burn. They can be challenging. They can be difficult. But you got to push through. You have to do it anyway. Same thing is true in your spiritual life. If you are here and you want to be up here, there's some steps you have to take. Because if you just wander aimlessly through life, wander aimlessly through the church, wander aimlessly through your spiritual life, you're going to get somewhere, but it won't be where you want to go. You're not going to get up here with Jesus 
if you're not willing to take the steps that move you in that direction. That's what we're talking about this morning as we continue this series on making disciples as the steps that we need to take. And today I'm going to encourage each person in this room to take at least one step. Some of you will take several steps. That's okay. But everybody's going to take some steps and you're going to indicate it on the response card that is in your seat this morning. But let me begin by asking you this. How do you feel about where you are right now spiritually? How do you feel about the current state of your walk with Jesus Christ? For several weeks, we've been saying that, that a disciple is somebody who follows Jesus, is being transformed by Jesus, and on mission with Jesus. But he's following Jesus. She's following Jesus. So if you're following Jesus Christ, and suddenly he stopped, turned around, and looked back at you, what would Jesus say? What would he think about how well you are following him? Are you close or are you hanging back? Are you close or are you constantly getting distracted by things off in this direction and that direction and so you're getting off the path a little bit? Let me show you some Bible verses before we come to our primary text in Mark 4. Show you some verses on the screen just to kind of get us in the frame of mind to think about taking some steps with Jesus. That beautiful Psalm 23, verse 3, he restores my soul. But notice this, he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That if you are following Jesus and being guided by him in life, you are walking on a path that is day after day making you more righteous. If your walk with Jesus, if your spiritual life is not moving you in the direction of the steps you're taking are not moving you in the direction of becoming more Christ-like, more righteous, then you're not following Jesus the way you need to. He leads us, guides us, directs us on paths that produce righteousness, Christ-likeness. Psalm 17, verse 5, my steps have had fast to your paths and my feet not slipped. Are you still following closely or like I said a moment ago, are you looking over here and over there getting distracted? Have you perhaps fallen down? Or are you keeping up with Christ? Are you following intimately with him, drawing closer to him, hearing him as he speaks to your heart and responding in obedience and, and, and growing? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. He says, like newborn infants, newborn babes desire the pure milk or the sincere milk of the word, God's word. Why? So that you can grow. So that you can grow, not just in Bible knowledge, but so that you can grow in respect to salvation. The Bible talks about working out our salvation. Not that we are saved through works, but that once we are saved, once we are in Christ, we work out what that means. We work at showing what it means to follow Christ. We grow in this salvation. Are you growing or are you stuck? Are you growing or perhaps have you slipped back from where you once were in Jesus? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15. He says, take pains or be diligent, be intentional with these things. What's these things? 
all that Paul had written to Timothy in this book of, of Timothy, all that's written in the Scripture in the New Testament for us as disciples. He says, be diligent, take pains, be intentional with these things. He says, be absorbed in them. Give yourself wholly to them. Give yourself completely to what God says when he speaks to your heart. Give yourself completely to exposing yourself to the word of God so he can speak into your life. Why? So that your progress, your growth, your taking steps forward in, in Jesus will be evident visible, noticeable by the people in your life. I mean, if the, the people in your Sunday school class were to speak honestly about you, if the people in your home were to speak honestly about you, the people you go to school with, the people you work with, the people you hang out with, if they were to speak honestly about you, would they say, when I look at him, when I look at her, I see somebody who is steadily growing in Jesus, becoming more like Jesus, obeying Jesus more today than they used to, or would they say, eh, they go to church, but they're kind of stuck. People seeing progress in your spiritual life, in your walk with Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what God wants. And I think for many of us, that is also what we want. Now, what Jesus did in Mark 4, so if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it there. He told a story, a parable. And a parable is simply a story taken from everyday life, something that everybody listening to him at that time would have understood. Sometimes we understood it initially. Other times we need to explain a little bit because times have changed. And so a parable is Jesus telling a story from everyday life that makes a point, that, that illustrates or teaches a spiritual truth. And in Mark 4, there's a large crowd surrounding Jesus and he's wanting to teach them. He's on the shore of the, uh, of the Sea of Galilee. And so what he does so the crowd can see and hear him, he gets in a little fishing boat. And they, they push out into the water just a little distance from the shore, and he can see everybody on the bank, and they can all see him, and from that boat, he teaches them. He teaches by telling a story, by telling a parable. I want us to read it in Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 3. Here's what he said. He said, listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. In verse 5, other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns or the weeds. And the thorns came up and choked it out, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as it grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100-fold. Now, he's using a farming story, a farming analogy, but farming back then was a little bit different than it is today. Didn't have all the equipment. You know, we, we, we use equipment to sow seed and to do stuff today in, in big farms. They walk around and throw the seed by hand, get the seed out of their bag, and they just cast it. And so think of it like this. You'd have, you'd have all of the, this area where there are growing crops, but you'd have these paths. So you'd have these highways, these pathways, these walkways where the farmer would walk up and down 
and he would throw his seed, okay? He'd grab it out of his bag, and he would throw his seed out into the fields. And he could only throw it so far, so you had to have pass quite often so he could reach those areas without walking all of it all the time, and he'd throw his seed. And when he would do that, the seed would go everywhere. Sometimes some of the seed would land here on the path. Now, the thing about a path is it's hard, and the seed can't get down in the ground, so it's just laying on top of the ground, and birds would come and would eat the seed. Makes sense, right? And then he said some of the seed, some would fall here on the path, but some of the seed would fall along the edge of the garden. He calls it the rocky soil. Because if you've, how many of you have ever, any, any of you like me grew up on a farm, have you ever cleared out a spot to raise a garden? All right. One of the things you have to do is you have to get rid of the rocks. Now in Rock Hill, that's unending because you never get rid of all the rocks. This place is appropriately named. We've got more rocks than dirt. But you gather the rocks out of the area where you want to raise your garden and you carry them over and you lay them down on the edge on the side of the garden out of the way, right? And there would be a little bit of dirt that would get on those rocks. And so when he would throw that seed, yeah, it'd fall along the pathway and birds would eat it, but some of it would fall along the edge where those rocks are with a little bit of dirt. And because there wasn't much dirt, the seed would get down there and it would come up fast because it wasn't covered by much dirt. And it would look pretty and green and you think, wow, isn't that nice? But because it had no depth of root, couldn't take hold. When it got hot, and the sun was blistering, it would scorch it and those young plants would die. And then he said you have the seed that falls out here in the garden that you've cleared out and it's good dirt and it looks really good and all that seed would fall out there and it, and it starts growing and you're getting all excited but all of a sudden you get lazy and don't take care of it. You plant it but you don't cultivate it. You don't, you don't get rid of the weeds. You don't hoe it. You do, and, and after a while the thorns and the thistles and the weeds start growing and when weeds grow with a crop, what happens? We just choke it out. So you plant tomato plants, but you don't do anything after you plant them and they grow up and here's all these weeds growing up with them. And guess what? After a while, the plant's there and you can see the plant, but it's not producing a whole lot of tomatoes because the weeds are choking it out. And then he said, there are, there are seeds that fall out here in this good dirt. And man, you're diligent. You take care of it. You do your job. You get rid of the weeds. You focus on it, and it grows, and it grows, and it produces a crop, Produces a crop, a harvest, sometimes 30-fold, sometimes 60-fold, sometimes 100-fold because not all the plants produce the same amount, but because you're taking care of it, they're all producing fruit. So Jesus tells this parable. And everybody he was talking to got it. It made sense. They'd seen farmers doing that. They saw all these fields. They understood. But they didn't understand. Because later in that chapter, the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, what does that have to do with anything? Now, that's my paraphrase. They said, Jesus, we don't understand. Can you explain this to us? What does this have to do with us? How does any of that apply to me, apply to humanity, to individuals that I know. And so Jesus said, I'm glad you asked. Let me explain. And in Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 14, he did. So let's read it together. Verse 14. He said, the sower, the farmer, sows, plants the seed. The seed is the word, the word of God. Actually, this story is also found in Matthew's gospel, 
and in Luke's gospel as well as Mark's. And each one gives us a few little different details. And when you put them all together, you get the full picture. And so Luke says he sold the word of God. Verse 15, these are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown they, on, on the path, okay? And when they, they hear, they hear the word of God, immediately Satan comes and takes it away steals the word, the seed that has been sown in them. Matthew says they're unable to understand it. Luke says they're not willing to believe and be saved. Verse 16, he says, in a similar way, these are the ones on whom the seed was sown in the rocky places along the edge of the garden, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no firm root, no depth, because it's not much dirt, it's just on top of those rocks. No firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. Have you ever known somebody, they come to church, they come to camp, they make a decision for Jesus, they get saved, they say, I love Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, and they're all excited, and they're emotional, and man, they're enthused, and then in two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, you, you, you never see them again. That's who Jesus is talking about here. He said, you're going to have people like that. Don't let it surprise you. And then uh, verse 18, others are the ones who, on whom seed was sown among the thorns. So they're out in the good dirt, but the weeds grow up. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things, plural desires, many type things, not just money, anything, enter in, and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Luke adds that it's the pleasures of life also. And then there are the ones that are where the seed is sown on the good ground. They, they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30 and 60 and 100 fold. So Jesus, listen, Jesus is saying that every human being, every human being, including each of you and me, we are one of these types of ground. And what I want you to think about is which type are you? Not what were you five years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago. What type of ground are you today? At this season in your life, are you this hard path out here and the seed falls on you? And it's just like as soon as you hear the word of God, whether it's in a worship service or a Sunday school class or a small group or uh, you, you, try, you pick up the Bible by yourself and try to read it, and it's like the word of God lands on that hardened heart of yours and it just ricochets off. Jesus says what happens is Satan is stealing the word of God from you. He's the bird that eats the seed out here on the path. And for some of us in this room, some of us watching on television or live stream, that's where you are right now. Maybe there was a time in your life when that wasn't you, but right now, you're like that hard path. And you need to take some steps. Change it. You need to get on your face before God and repent. You need to pray that God softens your heart. That God melts you and convicts you because this is a dangerous, a terrible place 
to live. Where Satan is constantly stealing the seed of God's holy word out of your mind, out of your heart, and out of your life. Can you think of a more dangerous place to be than there? And then some of us, we're like the dirt, the ground at the edge of the garden where there's rocks and a little bit of dirt on it. We, we, we come to church and we get encouraged, we get motivated, and we say, yeah, I'm going to do that. But then we get to school, we get to work, we, we get back with our family that doesn't support us, wherever it is we go to, and then we start worrying about what everybody else is thinking because Jesus said, the ones on the edge of the garden with the rocks and all that, it's when persecution, you're worried about what somebody's going to think, what somebody's going to say. You're more concerned about getting along with or impressing somebody than you are getting along with and impressing Jesus. He said it's afflictions, disappointments, struggles, hard times. Things don't go your way. And as, you know, as, as soon as something doesn't go your way, you're that rocky saw. The joy's gone. The, the, the roots are not there. You don't, you don't keep growing. You give up. There's no fruit. And then he said, some of us, we're out here in the garden and the dirt's good. I mean, it's real. We accepted it. But man, we're not growing and producing the fruit of righteousness. We're not producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in the book of Galatians. We're not producing the fruit of evangelism and service that changes lives and changes this world. We're just kind of stuck. And why? He says, because the pleasures of the world and the pleasures of life and, you know, distract us. The worries of life. Some of us have this inordinate need to control everything. And Jesus, I'm not even going to surrender to you until you tell me what it is you want me to do and then I'll think about it but just to come with open hands and open palms and say, Lord, I'm yours no matter what. I'll do whatever, even though I don't know what it is, but I'll still do it because I worry. I have to be in control. I don't trust God. I have to take care of me. And it chokes the fruitfulness out of us. Holds us back and keeps us from growing. And then Jesus said, there's the seed that falls over here in this really good dirt, and you're a good farmer. You take care of the dirt. You take care of the Word of God. You, take, you cultivate it. You hoe it. You get rid of the weeds. You don't allow the weeds, the worries, the distractions to get in the way, and you grow and you grow and you produce fruit. Some of you are growing so much you're producing 30 times. Some of you grow so much you're producing 60 times. Some of you grow so much you're producing 100 times, but you're growing and you're producing and you're producing, and the next thing you know, the garden just overflowing because you're growing and producing so much. Which one are you? Which one do you want to be? And are you willing to take some steps to get there? It's interesting. Research tells us 
that whenever a fire alarm sounds, the majority of people don't move. <laughs> when the fire alarm goes off, most people just stand and kind of look around. Want more information. In fact, there are so many stories of people doing that, by the time they finally moved, it was too late and they lost their lives. Research tells us that once people decide it's time to move, most people, once they start moving, do not trust the emergency exit signs like that one over there. That the majority of people, once they start moving, when the fire alarm goes off, actually go out of the room or out of the building the same way they came in even if it's not the quickest or safest way out. Because we like familiarity. We like patterns. We like tradition or habits or routines. And so God speaks to us. The fire alarm of the Holy Spirit goes off. And we look around and we're, what, 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 what am I going to do? Am I going to do anything or not? And then we decide, yeah, I want to do something. I know I need to do something. I need to obey God. I need to take a step. But the challenge is taking a step in a different direction to actually move from where we are because we are so used to what we've always done. We're so, our habits are so ingrained in us, we fall back into the same old patterns, the same old habits. Sometimes we leave church with the best of intentions. We don't, we don't actually act on them. We don't carry through. We don't take a step. One of the reasons I'm asking you to actually put something physically on a card and bring it to the altar in a moment is to take a step and write it down and say, I am doing that one thing, that those those two things, whatever many you have, those are the steps. I'm not just some ambiguous, well, I'm going to grow. No, these are the specific steps I will take to move forward with Jesus Christ. J.P. Morgan, one of the wealthiest men in this country at the end of the 1800s and early 1900s said, and I like this quote, notice that he said, he said, the first step towards getting somewhere is to decide you're not going to stay where you are. I mean, you, you can't get up here with Christ. You're not willing to move. You, if you want to be this really good, productive disciple, follower of Christ, get off the path. Get out of the rocks. Clean the weeds out of your life. Do something. But don't stay where you are. You'll look at the card that I asked you to pick up that was on your chair when you came in, the next steps card. I want to walk you through this, okay? So go ahead and get it out and have your pen in hand. I want to walk you through this. Some of this, you know, different parts of this will apply to different ones of us, okay? So stick with me. For some of you, as I said at the beginning of the message, the step you need to take right now is to commit your life to Jesus Christ and become a disciple to be saved. Because you are in spiritual darkness. 
you are spiritually lost. If you died this afternoon, you would not go to heaven. You would go to hell. You don't know Jesus. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. You have never repented of your sin and turned your life over to Christ as your Lord and Savior. And, and, and that's the step you need to take before you worry about any of these others. You need to take that step. And you can do that right now, seated, seated where you are. You can, in your own heart and mind, you can pray and give your life to Jesus and ask him to save you. And then just a moment when we sing, I'm going to ask you to come to me or one of the other pastors. Mark it on the card, but bring your card. Come to, one, to me or one of the pastors down here at the front in a few moments and say, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to be saved. Others of you have questions about salvation you, you, you want to, but, but, but something's holding you back and you have questions and you can check the second box. And if you'll put your name and info on in the back, one of our pastors will contact you this week. There are some in this room, the step you need to take is baptism because you have committed your life to Jesus Christ, but you've never been baptized as a believer. You see, baptism does not make you a follower of Jesus. It is the first step in discipleship you take after becoming a follower of Jesus. It is the step you take to publicly identify with Christ and say, I am following Jesus. Just like this wedding band indicates that I am married, being baptized indicates you're following Jesus. It doesn't make you a believer. It's a witness to the fact that you are one. And it is a command of Jesus to be baptized as a Christian. And it's the first step you take as a new disciple. And some of you keep putting that off and I'm telling you, that's the reason you're not growing the way you want to grow because you're disobedient at the very front. You need to take that step. Others of you want to know more about baptism, so the second checkbox in that category is to come to the class that Brother Jamie's going to teach next Sunday morning, a one-hour class, either 9, 10, or 10, 30. You can go either hour and learn more about what it means to be baptized. The third category, church membership. The first checkbox, some of you saying, I'm ready to join First Baptist. So I want somebody to call me and talk to me about it. I want to be a member of the church. Now, why? Some, sometimes I have people ask me, is church membership biblical? Yes. Very first church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, after Peter preached and so on and on and on in that chapter, it says all those who received the word, all those who received the word, all those who believed and committed their lives to Christ, they were baptized. And it says, and they were added to their number that day. And it tells how many. It means they counted. They knew how many were saved, how many were baptized, and how many were becoming part of the church there in Jerusalem that day. In your New Testament, the books of the New Testament are letters written to local churches. The book of Corinthians is a book written to a church in the city of Corinth. The book of Romans is a letter written to a church in the city of Rome, and over and over it mentions specific churches. I don't have time to preach a whole sermon on that, but being part of a church is biblical. And secondly, it says you are committed. You're not just an observer. You're committed not only to the universal body of Christ, but to the local visible expression because the world at large doesn't see the invisible church. The world at large that is lost sees the local, visible, physical church. And you need to be committed to that local bride of Christ. Some of you are interested in joining. You're invited to sign up on here to come to dinner with the pastor later this, in, in October. On Sunday night, to uh, meet me and our pastors and learn about our vision or to attend Next Steps or uh, uh, First Connect, rather, the third 
box under church membership that Brother Steve Polk will lead in two weeks on Sunday mornings for two hours. You wouldn't go to worship or Sunday school. You would go to First Connect, and you learn about our ministries and how you can be part of that and how you can grow. You can sign up for First Connect. And then the next category is connections and care, talking about getting involved in a Sunday school class. Now, I want to say something. And some people may push back. That's okay. Here's what I want to say. The most important thing that happens on Sunday morning in every Sunday school class, especially the adult classes, true anywhere, but for you adults, hear this. The most important thing that happens in Sunday school is relationships. Now, you hear what I said? Relationships. Because you need to be in a place where you are known, where you connect. And when there's a need in your, your life, you, you can be cared for. Why? Because they know you. And they know about the need. People can't care for you if they don't know anything about you or even know you have a need and you have no relationships. But secondly, here's, the, here's another reason, and this is a more important reason. It's not just about you. It's about others. And you need to be in a group so that, that when there are needs in other people's lives, you know about it, you can pray for them, you can serve them, you can care for them, you can help them, you can encourage them. Because, brothers and sisters, as somebody following Jesus, it's not just about what you need, it's about how he wants to use you to help somebody else as well. And, and the truth is, you're not going to do much of that if you're not in relationships with other believers, connecting with other believers. And so some of you, your step you need to take is to stop attending only worship and say, I'm going to get plugged into a group somewhere. And you can indicate it on that card. Then the last category is spiritual growth. And I could have put several things here, but I chose two. I've been talking about D groups. I'm going to keep talking about D groups. Because there is something significant that happens when a man or a woman reads a chapter of Scripture, chapter of the New Testament, and they ask God to speak to them, and then they jot something down. This is what God said, and this is what I'm going to do. And they do that five days a week, and then a group of four or five men, a group of four or five women get together, and what do they talk about? What God said to them in his word that week. Something happens there. And I, I, I read devotional books and I read books about the Bible, but I'm going to tell you something. If you spend more time reading devotionals than you do the word of God, you need to change that. If you spend more time reading books that talk about ver verses in the Bible than you do actually reading the Bible, you need to change that. Because Jesus said, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest word, not the smallest letter, not the smallest stroke will pass from the word of God until all of it has been fulfilled. 
The scripture says in the book of Hebrews that it is the word of God that is sharper than a two-edged sword that pierces to the dividing asunder, the soul and spirit, the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the mind and the heart. God's word does something that nothing else will ever do. And if you want to be this kind of disciple, you've got to be in his word. Let him speak to you. And so for some of you, many of you, the step you need to take is come to the D-group training on October 20, two-hour training. Five o'clock, Brother Steve? Five o'clock on October 20. You're not committing to be part of a D-group, but I want you to at least know how it works. And then the last one is these Bible reading plans. Now, some of you read the Scripture regularly. Praise God for that. These Bible reading plans are to encourage all of us to get into the Word of God Daily. And so this week is the last week of this four-week reading plan we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Been in your chair pouches there in the back of your chair. Next Sunday, we're going to put this blue one out. It's a two-week reading plan. Why? You learn by doing. And brothers and sisters, if we can get in the habit of every day reading a chapter in a systematic way in the New Testament, hearing from God, God does stuff. So I'm asking you to fill out your card and then put your contact information. Especially we need that if you want to be learn about Sunday school or baptism or church membership and other things or the D group training. We need all that information so we can get all the materials ready. So I'm going to ask you to fill out your cards and when we stand and sing our song here in just a second, to bring them to the altar. Why? Because I'm asking you to take a step, not just to leave here thinking, yeah, I think I'll do that. I need to do that. I want you to make an absolute commitment. I will do this one thing, this, these two things, these three things, whatever it is God directs you to do. These are specific practical steps I will take because this may be where I'm at. And I might want to be up here, and I know I can't get there overnight, just one step. But Lord Jesus, I'm going to take steps that move me in that direction because I'm not staying where I'm at. I'm not staying where I'm at. I'll close with this. Onisa's dad, my father-in-law, his name is Jack. He's 90 years old. He became a believer in his mid-40s. He hadn't been very religious before that. And... Um, so he got saved at a revival and was baptized. I met him a couple years later, and I became his pastor. And he was a, a regular Sunday morning attender through those years. Not the most dedicated guy, but he'd show up on Sundays. Now his wife, Monisa's mom, Mabel, she was very dedicated. In fact, for years, she taught our third grade Sunday school class. And before Monisa and I were, were dating, I remember Mabel coming to me one day and saying to me as her pastor that she was going to have to give up the class, quit teaching. Because Jack didn't want her to teach anymore. He just didn't want her being that involved at church. He wasn't happy about it. And with a broken heart, she gave up her class. There are ladies in our church who deal with that today. There are husbands that deal with it. So time passes. Monisa and I moved to South Carolina to Sumter, and then we moved here. Not long after we were in Rock Hill, something happened. There was a turning point in Jack's life, and I really don't know 
what caused it, but things changed. And when he was in his mid-60s, okay, when he was in his mid-60s, he started getting serious about Jesus and taking, and he started growing and he started changing. And, uh, and I remember I got a phone call telling me that Jack had been elected as a deacon. And he wanted me to, they wanted me to come and preach and take part in the ordination. And so we were downtown in three services, and I preached that morning. Then we got the family in the car, and we drove all the way to Kentucky, got there in time for a 6 o'clock worship service. I preached his ordination, laid hands on him. Then we got in the car and drove back to Rock Hill. I was young. That put me in a grave today. And by the way, I got a great wife because she put up with that. <laughs> yeah. But all of a sudden, this guy, for the first 20 years of his walk with Jesus Christ, had just kind of been stuck, church going, not much more. And he got on fire. I remember... The first time I heard Jack pray out loud. Normally when we get together for family meals, Mabel would call on me or someone else to say the prayer. And we were sitting there in their kitchen and she said, Jack, would you pray? And Jack, he prayed. I thought, wow. See, it doesn't matter what your age. You can take steps. doesn't matter how long you've been a follower of Jesus, you can take steps. Because until you die and see Jesus, you have not arrived. You're still on journey. You're still in process, and you need to continue making progress. Now, some of the things you do today may not be what you did 20 years ago. Life changes, I get that. But you don't ever stop. You don't ever stand still. You take steps. You make progress. You don't stand still. You don't settle. So I want us to stand. Now all over this room, I'm asking hundreds of you to take steps and come to this altar and, and visibly, physically demonstrate your commitment to taking some steps by placing your cards. Brother Steve and others of us will be here at the front if you want to come and talk to one of us as a pastor if you prayed to receive Christ. Let's sing together. You come, come quickly. Come now. Come on.